Welcome back to the Pre-Construction Podcast. It's Gareth McLean here. What is the crack? 2023 is off to an absolute flyer and we're no different here at the Pre-Construction Podcast. We're already on our fourth guest and boy have we got a good guest for you. I get quite a lot of feedback from the audience. Uh, one of the kind of feedbacks and the requests we're getting is, can we get more founders on? Can we get them to tell their story? Well, today we have got that person. We have got Wes Palmasano, and he is CEO and founder of Impetus, a pre-construction services focused builder out of New Orleans. And let me tell you, him and the company are absolutely killing it in New Orleans. Um, it's probably, it's no surprise, I'll tell you why. Wes it comes from a family of master builders. He's actually third generation. His grandfather started his first company straight after World War II in about 1950. So he's got a good, good, good pedigree, as are Wes. Um, Wes himself started in 2013. So he's coming up to his 10th anniversary with Impetus. And boy, has he built a company. But not only a company, he's also built multiple divisions within that company. I'm going to go through everything. And you know what I love about Wes? He does not hold back. He tells you everything that he did right, that he did wrong, the highs, the lows, the challenges. It's an incredible story. It really is. Um, so Wes, Wes sitting at about 250 million right now, but that's 250 million across a commercial GC, across a heavy civil division, a self-performing division, and now a new prefabrication division that he talks about as well. Um, don't forget, wait till the end, you'll hear a bit of crack between myself and Wes. He goes through the quick fire eight questions round, so stay tuned for that. And uh, before all of that, and during the podcast, you'll obviously hear from our two sponsors. Uh, one is Concentric. We will hear from Steve Del Arto. He is the CEO and founder. We will then hear from our usual main sponsor, which is Beck Technology, and of course, Stuart Carroll, the president. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Steve Delorto, founder and CEO of Concentric, the first holistic platform for pre-construction. As a former executive officer of one of the largest general contractors in the U.S., I have experienced firsthand the challenges the industry is facing, particularly in pre-construction. Pre-construction is still a highly manual and fractured collection of processes Essential information is kept in ad hoc scattered spreadsheets and documents, which really limits the understanding and hides the full picture of a project for all those involved. Concentric is here to change that. Our 360-degree platform unites data, workflows, and people. With Concentric, you and your team can access real-time insights and data, assess and mitigate risk to ensure a successful project outcome, and most importantly, unlock the enormous capacity of your talent and your data. To learn more about Concentric and to book a demo, head to our website, concentric.com. That's spelled C-O-N-C-N-T-R-I-C.com. Concentric, it's pre-construction recalibrated for the modern builder. Wes Palmasano, welcome to the Pre-Construction Podcast. Great to be with you, Gareth. Thank you. We've got the founder and the CEO of Impetus Construction, or just Impetus as we as we know it. Um, for anybody that doesn't know you, Wes, can you give us a quick 
quick, quick background. Now, I know there's a lot to go through. I think you're third generation. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. In background, I grew up in a construction family. My grandfather started a small construction company after returning from World War II in 1950 in the New Orleans community. Uh, he worked uh, and then eventually my dad and my uncle joined him in the business. And so like many other family construction companies, they worked together and had a great working relationship. And I was fortunate to grow up working in that business. And they were true master builders and, and what I describe as kind of the old school general contractor that uh, although they worked in the single family residential space, they worked on their tools. And, and so I grew up and was fortunate enough to learn the trades of construction from an early age. And that's been a big advantage for me throughout my career. Uh, and they certainly taught me a lot of the values that I still hold today and the value of hard work and, and what it takes to get something done on the job site. And then after graduating construction management from LSU down here in South Louisiana, I transitioned into a role in a commercial construction company and learn the commercial side of the business. And that experience was a tremendous learning opportunity for me to grow and, um, and really learn the larger project side of the business in the commercial industry. And I spent 12 years doing that before ultimately taking an entrepreneurial journey. So I spent time in a family business, then working for someone else. And then in 2013, and we're just approaching our 10 year anniversary, of the company that I founded uh, in 13. And my family business and legacy is still alive and well. So my dad was still doing the residential thing and then subsequently retired and actually joined us. And so my dad uh, still works with us today. And uh, it's always great to have him around. And he's uh, he's actually 78 at this point, still coming in and, and spending time with us in the business. And so that family legacy and connection is still there. But, you know, I had high growth plans and and um, and big aspirations for what we wanted impetus to be. And, you know, the smaller family business and where my dad was in his life at that point in time of getting close to and approaching retirement, it made a lot of sense to, um, to really just take off with a, a new business and then, you know, tie in that family legacy at the same time. Brilliant. And literally, Wes, when we were just discussing offline, we could talk here for about three hours. There's no doubt about it. With your background, coming out of college, that whole residential commercial side, the experience you've built up, then founding Impetus, I mean, 10 years anniversary, what a great time to come on the podcast and discuss the success stories, the lessons learned. I mean, the the, the how fast you guys are growing. It's not easy. And I know this from dealing with pre-construction teams. It's not easy growing this fast. But some of the foundations and anybody listening now and thinking, what are we going to get out of this or podcast? Trust me, it's worth listening to this story because if you're interested in pre-construction services, if you're in, in, interested in an academy, building an academy, how to run a business using people, using pre-construction services. You've got to keep listening because Wes has got a fascinating story. Um, that was a great bio. So 10 years in, Wes, tell me when you first stepped inside Impetus and decided, you know what, this is what I want to do. What was going through your head? Had you got such an aggressive hyper growth kind of attitude from this very start or did you want to take it steady, steady? No, we had a, a very aggressive high growth plan from day one and the initial plan. And I, I kind of look back and laugh about it today because I think, you know, maybe being naive and um, and, you know, maybe somewhat young and foolish enough to do so. 
that, you know, I think it was part of our success is that we, we were somewhat fearless at the beginning, but our plan was very simple. And we established ourselves in 13 and in the team, we got together and talked about it and said, we want to go zero to a hundred million as fast as possible. So I know that sounds a little crazy for a lot of construction startups out there, but that was the goal. And, uh, and we actually achieved that goal in 36 months. So we, uh, wow. we went zero to a hundred million in, re in annual revenue. And we hired about a hundred people in the first 36 months of the business, um, starting from just myself, you know, as a one person uh, organization. And we did that. And you, you mentioned pre-construction and that's always been a driver for our business. And I learned very early in my own career. So I started out in the field working with tools and then I transitioned into the office and spent a lot of time in project management. But by the time I got to a vice president level within the organization I was working for, I recognized that pre-construction was the key to success on projects and firmly believed and established a philosophy that 90% of a project's success happens before you start at the job site. And so if you can get the plan right, and get the foundation for the project in the right place during pre-construction, then it's about transitioning that into operations and executing on that plan. And so 90% of that battle is won or lost before you ever even get out to the job site. And so we established the business with that same philosophy and pursued all negotiated opportunities. And we were fortunate enough to have a lot of great relationships. And so all the work that I mentioned, you know, in terms of that zero to hundred million growth was all a heavy emphasis on pre-construction and it was not, we, we didn't pursue bid opportunities in the, in the market. And, you know, as a startup business, that ability to deliver on pre-construction services played a tremendous role in our success. Brilliant. And Wes, you say it with such confidence. I mean, I love, and, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I remember starting this business five years ago and you, you have to be a little bit crazy. You've got to be a little bit delusional to, to, to be able to go from zero to a hundred and, and just not get the blinkers on, but to be able to do it, focusing on pre-construction services. I mean, I deal with companies that are four or 500 million big and they are struggling to get their clients to pay for pre-construction services. So having that mindset from the very, very start, dealing with clients, how difficult was that? Because I'm thinking that's difficult today. I can't imagine what it was like 10 years ago. Yeah, I I think part of our success in terms of how we sold it. So one of the things you just said that, that jumped out at me was this idea of selling pre-construction services to clients. And we were one of the businesses that, you know, again, maybe call it crazy enough to come out with what we just call our guarantee around the office, which was to go to a client and, you know, I wouldn't call it super innovative or creative because you know, it's the oldest deal in the book in terms of, uh, of how things are sold. But we would go to clients and, and offer that our pre-construction services were actually free if you weren't satisfied. So kind of the money back guarantee. And so, you know, yes, we had a fee associated with pre-construction services. And in all instances, those deals and, and the contracts moved into construction. But we start out with this idea that if you don't like what we're doing, we'll take the project up to CDs. And there's an opportunity if you chose to put it out to bid to other contractors, feel free to do that and terminate us if, if you don't like what we're doing. And so it was this very confident approach to pre-construction and knowing that our our services would deliver superior value that our clients would recognize. Incredible.
incredible. So you're backing yourself. You've you get you've got skin in the game. You're 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 completely you're completely confident of delivering. And we talked about it before coming on air, Wes. This comes from your background, as you said. There, you've been on the tools. You saw the residential side through the through the, the family business. You've were on the commercial side, but you spent the majority of your time within pre-construction. I think that's where. Is that where the confidence comes from? You, you literally knew everything there was to know about pre-construction. Well, I think it's, you know, maybe the culmination of the skills you just mentioned that, you know, from my own journey in my career and, you know, now our team is, has been brought up in a similar mindset. And I think that's you know part of our values and philosophy as an organization that the team's bought into that for each project, one of our core values is called renegade mentality which is a unique core value for our organization and one that came out of this idea that we're always going to challenge the status quo. And so a part of our approach and how, you know, my upbringing and maybe how it ties to it is this ability to understand the fundamentals of the business in the field, understand the operational side of the equation, understand design, engineering, and architecture, and really bring those skill sets together. And, and I mentioned the idea that my family business that I grew up in, my dad, my grandfather, my uncle, I was around them as a young kid, and they were what I'd call a master builder. And so they understood the fundamentals of engineering and design as just as much as they did of how to get the work done. And I, I always try to pride myself in the ability to look at a project and come up with creative solutions that in a lot of times would I'd call challenge the status quo and kind of bring the renegade approach is really how it's described in our internal vocabulary to that particular project. And so as renegades, we're always looking for a better way to build. And this idea that, you know, there's always multiple ways to do things and how can we turn the project inside out and come up with the smarter approach and really drive value through that. So we've never advertised ourselves to be the cheapest but, you know, certainly we find ways to drive value into projects by coming up with very creative solutions on all of our projects. Brilliant. And Wes, one thing that I always ask, I try to ask people, but you're the perfect person to answer it. Within Impetus, what is the, if you kind of look at the, the ratio between the amount of pre-construction people and the amount of operations team, just a, a rough guide of your employees right now, what's, what would the ratio be? We have, and, and I guess it depends on how you define operations, because we're, we've developed what is a pretty complex organization. One of the things that I didn't mention in the initial intro is that in 15, so we started commercial construction in 13, and then in 15, we also started a heavy civil construction business. And so yeah, as part of the journey was this idea that we can apply the same principles to other disciplines of construction. And so our, our heavy civil team is another fast growing area of the business that I'll kind of set aside. And we've tried to look at how can we use that same philosophy and our approach to pre-construction in the heavy civil world as well. And then we also started in 17, a series of different self-perform capacities and this idea that we want to be a true builder and we don't want to just be a paper pushing general contractor. So, you know, the, the different verticals of the business make that question a little bit difficult because we have a lot of field forces. But if I just take on the commercial construction side and look at project management resources, you know, if I call that operations versus pre-construction, um, pre-construction in terms of percentage is 30 or 40% of that overall team. And on the operational side of the equation, 
you know, is the other 60 or 70%. But our pre-construction team for the size of the organization, I think is probably a little bit bigger than most organizations. And I think that's a big part of our success. Um, you know, maybe in terms of putting that in numbers, we are today um, at about 200 million, which a big chunk of that volume today is is in a self-performed delivery and in our heavy civil business. So it's across the whole organization. We're at 200 million. Uh, our total team is 220 people today. Brilliant. Uh, and, you know, in terms of the, the split, we have about 25, if I remember right, in project management, uh, commercial construction project management. And there are about a dozen people in the on the pre-construction team. So, Brilliant. I mean, that kind of puts it in numbers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. When you look at that numbers, the reason I asked you, we we um we grade and rate every contractor in the country, anything from your ENR two hundred right down to your small to medium sized business, and we try and come up with a ratio. And what you're saying within pre construction is way higher than the average. And I think that that's one of the things that's got to change over the next four to five years. If the two things that need to change, that needs to change. So the mindset within a, a contractor needs to be more pre-construction focused. Then within pre-construction, they've got to kind of amalgamate the data, the people, and the, the technology. And I think that's the, the key. I think you are, and it, and it says with the numbers, miles ahead on the pre-construction side. What's your yeah. thought? And that leads us nicely into the technology side. Um, we're going to finish then. Well, not finish, but after the technology side, you mentioned it a few times on the Renegade Academy. I want to go into detail on that as well. But before we jump to that, how how, how do you do your pre-construction um, and what technology do you use? Yeah, so pre-con is an interesting one because we find as it relates to technology that, you know, there's not a one size fits all, um, you know, although I know many construction companies always hope for the holy grail of being able to live and and uh, and operate out of one technology so we use a host of solutions and and honestly are constantly trying to evolve and look for new options and and new opportunities um technology wise we also and i i guess this is another thing that's an interesting spin on us is that although i just described a kind of split between what we describe as our pre-construction department versus project management our operational teams are engaged in a big way in the pre-construction process and they're expected to be very hands-on throughout the entire pre-construction process and that same philosophy that we know pre-construction delivers results and so embedded with the pre-construction team you know, you could also make an argument at any given point in time. We have a lot of the operational team in there as well and really diving into a plan to execute and actually build the job. So the operational tools are brought into the equation. You know, the Procores, um, we're on uh, Spectrum financial system, you know, which that we try to tie in with estimating database and the way that we structure the data through the cost cycle of the project from start to finish. Um, we're in P6 for scheduling, of course. And so that's kind of starts right at the beginning of the process. And, you know, we're developing very detailed plans for the execution of the project from the beginning. Um, estimating wise, that's an interesting one that, you know, it's, uh, it's almost comical within our organization because we um, I, and I think I at least find that this is a common theme for construction companies like us. You know, I'd call us kind of mid-sized construction company. It is really hard 
to have a, a software and something that's customized to the way your people work, the way that you can deal with Excel. And so that's been a common theme for us. Um, you know, we tied in um, and and have worked with Destiny, um, with Beck's technology group from an estimating perspective. And, you know, we have that solution. But honestly, our pre-construction people, from a cost perspective, we have custom developed Excel tools that you know we've been working with for the last 10 years. And the efficiency associated with those tools is hard to ignore just purely for, for costing. And you know, one of our approaches is that we have a really robust uh, conceptual estimating tool that we've developed, which that's the way that we engage and work with our clients is we come in day one, we generally are in a design build or a design assist type relationship, extremely collaborative delivery methods. We're sitting down with the designers and the owner and understanding the program for the project and then setting a price point and ultimately driving the design to that price point. And so in a target, target value delivery type of model, our modeling software that we've developed that's proprietary to us in-house is really hard to get away from. And then once we have our established baseline, we're then building detail into the budget as the design develops, but ultimately driving it to the price point and really being a leader in the pre-construction process. And that's the one thing that I would say that has been a common theme for us that I, I think I, I see as a somewhat of an issue in the industry that you know many contractors will kind of sit back and let the design develop and the owners driving the design and then more reactively price the project. And our view has always been that we've got to be in, we've got to be the leader. We need to thoroughly understand the owner's program, what's important to them, the values of, of what they're trying to deliver on. And then where do we have an opportunity to be really creative and, and help guide the process while also achieving all the designers goals. So of course the architects and the interior designers and the entire design team have their own things that, that are important to them. And so this understanding of values and what's important to each participant. And then how do we, at the end, drive and create win-win solutions in the things that that we're actively managing throughout the entire process? Absolutely. I mean, getting in early with the owners, the architects and the designers, I don't think it's enough. I don't think people are doing that enough. And that is where, at the end of the day, you're going to be delivering the project for the client. So you, as well as the client, have got to be really, really comfortable and really, really happy with what you're going to be building. And when you're comfortable and happy and understand it to, to, to a decent level, then it becomes much, much easier. Uh, but something you said about pre-construction technology, I agree with you. I mean, Destiny is incredible. There is not enough solutions out there because nobody, and this is what I'm saying, every contractor thinks that they do things the same. Whereas I have seen it, especially from pre-construction, it is vastly different. You go to one company, they are doing completely different things to, the, to another company and they're kind, they're almost kind of hiding it um, but there isn't enough solutions out there for people to be able to go and test three or four different things and see what suits their, their the, the way they do pre-construction so I totally agree with that but it sounds like you've got a good a good a good thing going with the, the especially the, the proprietary modeling system um, and do you see what do you see in the future when it comes to pre-construction technology what would you like to see what what kind of piece of software product would you like to see come out to solve a particular problem 
Well, I mentioned our emphasis on the opportunity to impact project outcomes early. And the, you know, the earlier in the pre-construction process you can be involved, the more of an opportunity there is to be impactful. You know, as you get down to the end of the design, you're talking about details. And honestly, details don't drive project success or value. And so while you're in the conceptual phase, I think there's an opportunity as it relates to artificial intelligence and you know the rapid evolution of artificial intelligence and you know how can we use data and artificial intelligence to help put a tool in the hands of the construction world that really I think helps people get creative on what opportunities exist and how do we drive real value in the projects and so that's one that I don't know of any similar tools uh, that exist today where you're taking an early model of a project and so taking a designer's model and then connecting that from a cost perspective and analyzing different opportunities to innovate on a project and you know we we dig in big time into structural systems the MEP systems the things that drive real cost the envelope of the building and you know we we generally Although finishes are important, finishes are generally in our mind, especially in that conceptual stage of a project, somewhat secondary that, you know, we need to have adequate budgets established, but, you know, getting the fundamentals of the building right and, you know, having some artificial intelligence solution that may help people come up with the right answer, because there are always so many different ways that you could approach any complex project and, um, you know, landing on the right one is really where you drive true value. And you're talking about millions of dollars of savings and um, an opportunity, which is where you mentioned earlier, the how much do you charge and how do you get compensated for pre-construction services? We've honestly always found that to be difficult because and you look at it, if we're able to come in and save a client two, $3 million, how much is that worth? And you know, certainly I've argued as the, the person who may be helping to provide the solutions or the company that's helping to facilitate that, you know, do we get a, a share of the savings? Is there, you know, is there some model here that we established that, you know, it's not a monthly fee. It doesn't, a monthly fee that that pays for people's time doesn't compensate you for providing $5 million of savings through creative thinking and ideas that wouldn't otherwise be brought to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, Wes, as well, I think it's 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 going to have to be a collective from the, the GC and CM side of things to everyone's got to have the same idea of what pre-construction service is. Is there going to be a standardization of costs? Now, obviously, from you, 10 years of, of, of data and 10 years of delivering and saving, surely you can pick up and go, listen, these are the, the, the last 10 projects that we've done. These were the values at the beginning. These are what we, we saved in. And this is the cost of pre-construction services. Um, that will be invaluable to you. But the people now that are starting to try and, and, and charge for pre-construction services are going to find it much more difficult. Um, what do you think of the solution? Is it is it going to be a collective where the GCs and CMs get together and kind of standardize some sort of pre-construction services chart? I, I mean, I'd be a, certainly be a star. Uh, you know, there's a, a very established standard for what a fee is to build a project. And, you know, generally in, in any particular market, the GCs have an idea of what they're able to charge in that market. And, you know, you'll find a reasonably competitive approach when you start to look at, you know, three or four different GCs and what fee would they charge for a particular project. 
and you know, to your point, I agree that pre-construction services, there's no established norm or standard and, um, and the GCs across the country have wildly different approaches to how they charge for those services. And I think part of that though, is that the owners hold the cards in a lot of cases and, you know, many times uh, RFP, especially if I'm just looking at it in the context, let's just look at a CMAR type of delivery. There is an established norm of this is the way the process is going to be run and the owners are building into that competitive process in the RFP an opportunity that is generally geared around your reward is to make your fee during construction and you're required to provide the pre-construction services in order to get the construction. And so, you know, there's definitely uh, an established norm from the industry, which I think relates back to the way projects were always delivered when it was design, bid, build. And, you know, the pricing model for the industry is still in that place where I think delivery methods have gotten significantly more collaborative and um, in the, the industry or the pricing model for the industry, let's say, hasn't evolved along with the delivery models. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, and it's something that I did, I did a thing on LinkedIn. I was talking about a client that got 600,000 off a, 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 a GC got off a client for doing pre-construction service, but for the same type of project, maybe I think it was like 35 miles down the road for a different client. And they were only willing to pay a hundred thousand. Um, and it's just, it's too big a gap, you know? Um, and if the client doesn't understand the value of pre-construction services, it just becomes really, really, really difficult. Um, but it's, it's an ongoing issue, but it's something that needs to be talked about more often. And I think getting GCs in the room, whether it be at a big conference or a webinar or whatever, I think it can only help the industry. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, um, the value of pre-construction and I mean, in, in some ways, or at least some owners that I've talked about this, which is an interesting debate that, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, I think we could go on and on about the, the different perspectives on pre-construction pricing. But some of the owners that I've approached, um, you know, almost look at it in a sense as a, somewhat of a split fee, you know, so say as a general contractor, just pick a round number, say you have a 5% fee. Well, you know, is it a percent and a half for pre-con and three and a half for operations or, you know, I mean, there's some mindset that that in some cases the clients perceive it and some of the clients that we work with as we're kind of deferring our pre-construction fees yeah. in some ways or we're charging a smaller amount than what we actually spend during pre-construction and deferring because, you know, in most cases, especially in these cooperative deliveries that we do that you know, the client is waiting to get to a financial closing. And so until they get to their financial closing, they really want to limit the amount of cash they're putting out. And so we're somewhat embedded in kind of investing in the project with them to say, okay, we're going to negotiate the job and we're going to work with you over the next 12 or 18 months for pre-construction. And we're willing to defer our fee. But during construction, we expect to get a little higher fee than what the market would be because we're getting compensated for the value that we bring during pre-construction as well. And so sometimes we'll agree to that type of model with our clients where, you know, we're kind of investing alongside them and covering some of the expenses during pre-construction rather than billing them along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that listen, that's brilliant. And that makes sense. But that that comes with kind of collaboration and understanding and, and, and your pre-construction um, focus, which is is brilliant. Um, and listen, we could talk about this all day. One thing I want to get involved in, I want to ask you about, but I think it's fantastic at such a small. I, I want to ask you as well. 
You've got Renegade Academy. When did that start? Because for such a startup to, to get involved with an academy, basically developing and training the next generation of leaders, when did that idea, was that always something from the very, very start that you had planned? Yeah, it is. So our, our the, the business is founded around a handful of things. And, you know, the three that I would really point to for the construction company that we look at are execution excellence. And, you know, as a construction company, you know, if you aren't good at execution uh, in, in all aspects, and we're, we're pretty broad about that, you know, so we're not just talking about safety and quality control. We're talking about pre-construction services, of course. So everything that we do, we've got to strive for excellence in execution. The second fundamental is being really good at developing leaders that drive the future growth of the business. And then the third is challenging the status quo and, and really trying to innovate and find better ways to execute for the for the industry, for our own team, you know, really pretty broadly challenging the status quo. So that second pillar and fundamental that I mentioned of developing leaders is how the academy came about. We started very early with recognizing the fact that we needed to develop leaders. And, and I, honestly, I wouldn't say that it was any kind of brilliant strategy. It was more of a survival because it, we were growing so fast that people had to get promoted into positions they had never experienced before. And, you know, considering a high growth business, and we've always tried to promote from within as much as possible uh, before hiring from outside and really provide the opportunities to the team that's here. And so we started developing very specific career paths and that led into mentoring coaching programs. Every individual in our organization has a direct supervisor, but then they also have a mentor that mentors them throughout their career path. Uh, so we started with some things that I call somewhat organic like that, that, you know, we just recognize that people need to develop at a faster pace than they would be able to on their own. We started, you know, things as simple as a book club where we read a leadership book together and talk about it. Um, you know, so we are huge readers and, and learners in our culture. And then I'd say we formalized the academy around 18, so call it five years in business. We formalized it as actual academy and started doing more intentional training, which the intentional side of the training is specific individuals that, that are identified as high growth opportunity, all have mentors. We have about 30 people in the organization today that work with an executive coach that are mentored and coached the same way that an athlete would be coached. And, you know, everyone needs development. And with our culture of learning and the opportunities presented by growth, there's a tremendous need for that. At the same time, we have mastermind groups where it's kind of peer-to-peer -peer type learning. And we have an individual that facilitates those groups as another example of academy planning. And then to add to that, we have multiple levels of leadership training, which we call them prerequisites, principles, and paradigms. So different levels in the organization of entry-level leadership training. And there we're focusing on soft skills. And that's a missing gap in the industry that we're really passionate about. And the average field leader, I think the statistic is that they manage about $300 million of work throughout their career, yet have no formal training. So, you know, it's pretty much a no-brainer that you look at other types of businesses and look at any other industry and find someone that manages $300 million of work or a budget of $300 million and has no management training. And so, you know, the, the industry, I think, is really good at developing the hard skills, you know, and, and teaching people. And, and look, there's always room for improvement, but generally we find that people learn the fundamentals of the business on the job 
But then there's this big gap of soft skills, of managing people, working as a member of a team, you know, becoming a mentor to others and developing leaders around you. And so that culture of leadership development is one that we started to focus on with our offsite offerings. I mean, what that looks like that we really, I, I've enjoyed personally engaging in this program, but we run offsite leadership camps that we develop the agenda ourselves, we're developing the sessions and we're actually delivering the content. So it's not farmed out, it's internally led, internally developed. And this year we've got six of those planned just to give you an idea. So every other month we're doing a group and we've got 12 people is the format of it that we go to an offsite location. It's a two day, very intensive training Everyone spends the night. We have a lot of team building that's that's embedded in that. And people come away from that program. And then there's intentional. So there's a lot of preparation that goes in ahead by the candidates, of course, as well as the people who are leading the academy. There's a very intensive two-day off-site. And then for the 90 days following behind that, there's follow-up in terms of continued development and opportunities for these individuals to advance. And that program has been transformational for us. Uh, of doing these offsite leadership development camps. Incredible, unbelievable. You know what I love about that, especially the mentorship thing. It's not just the senior people mentoring the, the, the more the graduates or the people coming into the business because that works both ways. It's a reverse mentorship because there's no doubt about it. The kids coming out of college now have so many good skills that they can teach the, 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 the more experienced guys within your company. That's what I love about it. And then once you get them off off site, um, kind of in a comfort zone that they're both in the comfort, you learn so much more about people as well. And as you say, the soft skills, that gap that you're trying to fill between the college and the job site is something that people do are not focusing on. So it's it's one of the few things, it's it's one of the the few academies focused on the soft skills as well. So congratulations on that. Um, how many people do you bring into that every year, or is it a is it a kind of fluctuating number depending on on growth? Right. Last year, I think the statistics were in, in 2022, we trained 100, 180 of our people in some form or fashion and in, in you know, all in different opportunities. And so of our total employee count of 200, 180 of those went through some form of, of leadership training and programming. And I think it was 2,600 hours of, of training content was delivered to the team. Brilliant. Unbelievable, Wes. Unbelievable. I have to say congratulations on that. Um, and one thing I want to ask as well, because there's a lot of people that listen to my podcast, they're in that middle management or, or even in the senior management within a, a company, and they're thinking, am, am I right? Should, should I go out and, and bite the bullet and do a startup? Um, it, apart from focusing on pre-construction, the Renegade Academy, what would you say are, are the success stories and what advice would you give someone that, that's considering it and at the other side of the country in, in, in Chicago, Boston, LA? I mean, the, the industry is certainly a difficult one. And, you know, it takes, a, I mean, it takes an approach and a lot of different factors that I'd say contribute to success. And number one is being really good at building a team and, you know, I think that's one of the things that we got right and we did a tremendous job with in the beginning uh, was assembling and building a team. And that that goes back. I mean, there's a, a long history in terms of how our team came together and a, a group of people that are like minded, that have the same values and, and have a, an extreme amount of trust as a, as a team. And those individuals you know, really 
the the snowball started from there for sure. So, you know, getting the right people is number one, because you're not going to come out with a, any high growth business construction or otherwise um, trying to do it yourself. And so recognizing the value of, of team and, and what it takes to actually be successful in a business like this, which, you know, it, it honestly was challenging, but a lot of fun and rewarding. And so certainly I wouldn't discourage anyone from an entrepreneurial journey. And I'm, I'm, we're a big believer in our culture is one of, of being extremely entrepreneurial. And that's something that unites our entire team here. Um, and keeping that alive and well in our organization is one of the drivers today. Um, other factors for success are certainly sticking to and, and being really clear about what your values are. I think there are many times throughout our history that I look back and we made decisions that were based around our values that ultimately turned out to create something extremely positive for the business. And that wasn't always easy to do. And there are many examples that I could certainly point to and, um, and give you of how we made a decision that was consistent with our values that as a startup business, I think I, I question if other, other businesses would make the same decisions because it wasn't the easy decision to make when you know you're you're grinding funding is short you know you're you're challenged in a lot of different ways and you know you make a decision that's values based and really keeping your core values as and knowing who you are as a business and keeping those as your filter that you make all decisions through i think is a big part of our success and then of course in any business the determination understanding the hard work that it's going to take um you know, over that 10-year journey, I, I can't necessarily, I, or I, I probably don't want to put a number on the amount of uh, of hours worked by the by the key people around here because it would scare many people off of the entrepreneurial journey. But <laughs> it, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of hard work, you know, persistence and not taking no for an answer. Uh, and then, you know, also, and again, in our higher growth nature, I always look back and I laugh one specific instance as we got started in 2013, I met with bonding company. And of course, like most construction companies, we needed bonding to do some of our projects and negotiate a deal with our bonding agent and broker that we would have a 10 million, 20 million line. So 10 million per project, 20 million in the aggregate. And then within two weeks, we went to them with a $38 million project. And, you know, of course, they thought I was crazy and, you know, initial answer was no. But luckily, we had a great representative from our bonding company that really believed in the business, believed in the leaders. And, you know, it's a lot more than just cash that goes into a, a bonding decision. And so they actually agreed that they would back us for the project. And so that's an interesting one that I, I think I look at and, and, you know, today, maybe it feels a little crazy that we were a startup business without a lot of project history and not the the amount of required financial capital. And, um, and you know, we had called a lucky break of an individual that believed in us, that that gave us a chance. And, um, and that project turned out to be a huge success and was a big part and a driver that I look back on today of, of, um, of our success. And there are so many examples like that along the way that, you know, we made a decision that, of course, could have gone bad. And so certainly there's a lot of risk in that. But, you know, if you if you're in high growth mode, you have to be willing to take risk as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen, Wes, you know yourself, 
it, you obviously made the decision as well to partner with the bonding company. So it was a two way. It, it was obviously communicated very well on, on, on both ends. Um, and he was obviously very confident in you as, as a leader because there's no no doubt about it within Greater New Orleans you are a leader within with impetus um, a lot of people know of you there'll be a lot of people listening to, to, to the podcast and wondering what's what's Mad Wes going to do next what's what's the plan what's the growth plans for the next five or ten years we um, I've always had a vision which maybe goes back to pre-construction that we could be more vertically integrated in the industry. And I think that's generally the way things are headed. And our vision has always been to help the real estate side of the equation, equation find success in terms of how the project is, is put together from the start and then transferring that into design, manufacturing, and I'll come back to manufacturing in a second. Of course, holistic pre-construction services, the operational side of the equation, self-performing some of the work and being a true builder, you know, and ultimately being involved in the entire project life cycle. So one of the new exciting ventures that we have is what we're calling Renegade. So, you know, of course, very fitting for us. So it's RNGD. The web address is thinkrngd.com. And that business that, you know, we call Renegade, although the name for naming purposes, it's shortened. That is our think tank, our innovation lab. And so we've got a team of innovators in there, data analysts, designers, and then fabricators. So we have a facility that we purchased last year and did some renovations and expansions to, and we're starting to outfit in terms of equipment. But what's coming out of that shop is custom fabrication of uh, decorative metals, architectural millwork, structural steel, and we're actually starting. So in the true prefabrication space, we're in the process of designing a prototype of a structural system that we think is going to drive real value into our projects. And so, you know, we're innovating in this lab atmosphere with that same theme that I tied back to earlier of being a renegade, challenging the status quo, trying to advance the industry. And if we can figure out, we'll start with a structural system. And ultimately, what we'd like to do is to have an entire building and a platform type approach. And um, and actually, one of the groups that we're working with, which I'm enjoying the the collaboration and working relationship with them, is Brian Wood. I don't know if you're out to Brian yet. Yeah, out of the UK. And we're working with them, and so you know they. They are engaged with us and trying to come up with a system that makes sense in the U.S. They've they've successfully executed some similar type of thoughts in London. And the idea is to bring some of that methodology to the U.S. And so we're doing that through our Renegade affiliate. And the Renegade business would engage with Impetus in terms of how we deliver on our job sites. And so that's one of the new exciting things that we're spending time on. Unbelievable, Wes. Unbelievable. Future, thinking about the future. And I mean, even with the, the idea of doing that will attract people to and get people excited and get the fire in their belly. And I'm sure that the, the current employees that you have are looking at it going, wow, this is this is amazing. Um, brilliant. And a shout out to Brian Wood as well. Um, it, I, I know that opening up your mind and collaborating across the, the pond isn't easy, um, but I'm sure he's, he's helping. When can we see that kind of hitting hitting your production line and, and hitting your bottom 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 line on projects 
the goal is to have a project started around the end of the year uh, Good. with that structural system. So we're early in design. We've identified a site. And one of the, the approaches that we took is we're actually going to do the real estate side of that deal as well. Um, you know, so having the ability and the control to drive real efficiency into the design by being able to be involved in real estate design, manufacturing, and construction. And so this is, we'll test our, our hypothesis. Now, the goal, of course, is, is to ultimately use that same approach and service offering across all of our projects and our clients. But instead of asking one of our clients to be the guinea pig, we just said, we'll do it ourselves. So you're putting your money where your mouth is, Wes. I like it. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's, but, um, but Matt Wes shouts, it's, it's turned again. Now, listen to this, right? right? So you're going to be the real estate developer. You've got the GC, you've got the civil arm, you've got the self-performing, you've got the, the, the prefabrication. Are you doing what Katira tried to do? Um, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. Certainly, uh, I've watched the Katera journey. And, and of course, we don't want it to end up in the same place that uh, that theirs did. So we're much smaller scale. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to certainly not come out as strong as they did. Um, but I mean, I, I think a lot of the hypothesis, let's just say, that they came up with and that the way that Katera was approaching projects, you know, there are things to be learned there that I think are positive for the industry. And so it was some people from outside the industry that took a look at the industry and said, there's an opportunity to do better. And so I like that aspect of the way that Katera was working. Now, I think, you know, from my perspective that they oversimplified, you know, and it's not that easy. And I think that's ultimately what proved out that, you know, they thought it was going to be easier than it actually was to execute. And, you know, being, you know, that our, I guess our organization having this expectation of execution excellence means that we have to take more of an approach of crawl, crawl, walk, run. And so we're not just going to take off running as it yeah. relates to being innovative. And meanwhile, we're still delivering a couple hundred million dollars a year. And this year we're on track to do about 250 million in 23. And so we've still got to do and, and obviously execute the traditional service offering that that has fueled our success and our growth thus far and and you know juggling this thought process of prefabrication that's the reason that we established it as its own business it's actually in a different location at our manufacturing facility it's got an independent team because impetus as a construction company is continuing to deliver construction services in a traditional manner um and you know we're, we're juggling those two simultaneously yeah yeah, it's brilliant. It's 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 real, real calculated. It's thinking. It's creative, and it's as you say, it's testing the water. But not only that, you're testing the water, being the the, the real estate uh, arm yourself. So it's it's just what you've done before. You've put skin in the game. You've you, you've stuck your chest out, and you go, you know what? We can do this. Um, and I love the confidence, and I can't wait to see what happens. Um, as I said, literally, Wes, we could sit here and talk for two or three hours. What I would love to do now, and I want to let the listeners know. I do want to come back to you in six or 12 months, see how things are going and probably pick on a couple of other topics because the topics that we picked today were brilliant. They were, they were, they were relevant. They were, they were new. They were now. Um, and I want to congratulate you on 10 years of incredible success. And I want to wish you 20, 30, 40 more years of success. Thank you very much.
Hey everyone, I'm Stuart Carroll. I'm the president at Beck Technology. We are based in Dallas, Texas, and we are a pre-construction software company. We were founded in 1996, and we've really been focused on the world of pre-construction. We believe that pre-construction is where the biggest decisions that impact the outcome of a project occur. And we believe that through the use of technology, we can enable our users to make better, more informed pre-construction decisions. The net result of which is to make the world a better place. We're excited to uh, announce our partnership with Niche. And one of the things that really excites me is bringing pre-construction professionals the opportunity to get certified in our latest uh, product, Destiny Estimator. It's our belief that if we can help you understand how integrated pre-construction and pre-construction data lifecycle can benefit your business, um, it will ultimately improve the pre-construction services that you bring to your customers. And we'd like to uh, announce that we're gonna be releasing this at the end of Q1, and it's available to anybody that's a friend of Niche. Where's Palmasano? It is question time. We've got the founder, CEO of Impetus in New Orleans, and it's question time. First question, 10 years anniversary this year, Wes, favorite project? Uh, my favorite personally is the Higgins Hotel, which was a hotel project for the National World War II Museum. And that one has special significance because my grandfather founded the family business in 1950 after returning from World War II. Brilliant. There you are. Anybody going to New Orleans, that's the hotel you got to stay in. Uh, second question, biggest lesson learned in construction? Ooh, um, that's a tough one. This is the one that gets everyone because <laughs> as the, the audience know, the, the guests do not get these questions beforehand. It's on the spot stuff. So lesson learned in construction. Um, I would say as an, in my earlier in my career, I probably tried to do too much myself. And, you know, learning to work as a team and in this business is vital. And I've learned that, you know, as I've gotten more experience that, you know, leaning on the team around you is so important and not trying to do everything yourself. Brilliant. Delegation. Love it. Um, what is the hobby? How do you de-stress from work? Um, by the sounds of things, I don't think you have much time, but you got to do something to take your mind off it. I do a variety of things, but I'd say the, the main thing that I've really, I, I guess over the, my 10 year journey that I've been consistent with is just my daily routine and finding a way to build fitness into that daily routine and stay in shape. And so I approach every day and start my day with fitness. And, um, you know, although we have plenty of other hobbies and, you know, enjoy the outdoors and those things that I don't get to do quite as often, the thing that I think is the best stress reliever for me is that daily session in the gym that I start every day with at 5 a.m. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah, we had Chris Marco. He's the same. Unbelievable mentality. Favorite food? Mm. See, I, I, it's interesting. That's another one that's um, an interesting question because the people that know me well would, would probably laugh a little bit because I eat generally the same thing every day, especially from a work perspective. I'm all about routine. And so what works, works. And um, I, I kind of approach the day and look at it like I it's fuel. 
And so, you know, keeping the, the body at peak performance is a lot about routine. Um, so on a daily basis, I'm, I'm very boring in that regard. But, you know, in the days that I'm not in my typical routine, I say I, I really enjoy sushi because I like, you know, the, the fresh. I like um, I like keeping it healthy. And, and you know, that that certainly fits the theme. Brilliant. Love it. Favorite sports team? Oh, the Saints. Love it. Yeah, I love the Saints from New Orleans. I followed their journey and I was fortunate actually early in my career in the construction space. Got to work on a lot of projects for the team and, and work closely it. with them. And so I had the special bond with the team over the years and really enjoyed their Super Bowl run in 2009 and have been a, a fan of the team my entire life. Love it. Very good. What about um, next question? Mentor. Now, obviously, you're third generation builder. Um what if we could remove your grandfather and your father, biggest mentor in your in your career, biggest influence? My uncle, I, and you know, although that stays in the same theme with family, um, you know, not not my grandfather, my dad, but you know, I, I was influenced tremendously by all three of them throughout Good. my entire life, and um, and so that's the other one that stands out. If we take those two out of the equation, because I worked extremely closely with him. Um, all the way, you know, from a, being a little kid through um, the the start of my career in commercial construction. Brilliant. Next one is favorite eatery or, or pub. Now, obviously, with the 10 year anniversary, um, what's the plan? Surely there's like a, a restaurant for even wedding anniversary, kids, birthdays. Where, where do you usually head out to? Well, in terms of restaurant New Orleans, there's a, a classic establishment it's been around for a while um, not one of the new ones that my wife and I really enjoy called GW Fins it's in the French Quarter in a great location and it's that same kind of fresh seafood theme and um, and we really enjoy that and something that we frequent and uh, and go there any chance we get brilliant there you have it folks you've got a place to stay and you've got a place to eat the next time in New Orleans Wes thank you very much sir Thank you. It's great to be. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder about Advancing Pre-Construction 2023. It's happening in Phoenix, Arizona. It's happening on May 24th to May 26th. Now, if you're interested in going, it's the biggest and largest gathering of pre-con and estimating professionals. I'll be there and a lot of my guests will be there as well. If you're thinking about going, get over to the website, simply Google Advancing Pre-Construction during the checkout, simply put in podcast 10 to get a 10% discount. There's also early registration discounts as well. Well, folks, there you have it. The Wes Palmasano story so far. Uh, and as you can probably imagine, I don't think that the story is going to stop there. It's going to be a, a constant building of impetus um, I can see them hitting big numbers over the next three or four years with the drive and the vision that Wes has I think one of the common denominators you'll hear from Wes and Chris and Marco and maybe three or four other guests is the takeaway for me is start your day with exercise or some sort of mental wellness it, it really is so so important it allows you to do more it allows you to think clearer um, it's it really is a brilliant way to, to start your day listen if you enjoyed the, the episode please share it with your peers your friends um, give us some feedback we love hearing from the audience um, and stay tuned because there's much more where that came from <laughs>